Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Um, hi, everybody. Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. We're going to talk education this hour. There's so much, so much to cover. And education is a critical, critical mass issue in homes right across this country, and particularly during the pandemic. Manitoba, as I understand it, Manitoba a few years ago, went back to some fundamentals and basics as far as education is concerned and math times tables. How well has that worked out? What's happening in the rest of the country? What are your concerns about how math is taught to your kids? And uh, do you approve of a return uh, to the teachings of basic mathematics? Michael Zweigster joins us, Manitoba high school teacher, author of What's Wrong With Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them, and Sage on the Stage, which is a compilation of Michael's uh, columns, well, some of his columns, anyway. Always great talking to you, Michael. Thanks very much for for taking the time. And this is when, when I heard the Doug Ford announcement about returning to the fundamentals of mathematics, as opposed to the discovery math. I mean, you probably would have, if anybody had opened their window, they would have heard me applauding, because my my sense is this is absolutely fundamentally, no pun intended, uh, essential. Would you agree with that? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, the Premier and the Education Minister have certainly said the right things as far as the need for uh, a focus on the fundamentals in math. Um, discovery math, which uh, it goes by many different names, but uh, this approach where students are supposed to figure out things largely for themselves and come up with their own strategies and their own ways of solving math questions, it doesn't work very well, and if you don't master the fundamentals, the basics, whatever terminology we want to use, if you don't master those things, and have things like times tables in your memory automatically, uh, you're going to struggle with math, particularly when you go to higher levels. Now, how's it working out in Manitoba, and specifically what did Manitoba do as far as memorizing of timetables is concerned and returning to basic math? Yeah, Manitoba made uh, some changes to the curriculum about, uh, I'd say about six or seven years ago now, and it was largely in response to, well, a similar situation here that there were a lot of concerns and complaints about the fact that these fundamentals had been removed from the curriculum and uh, were not there. And uh, the previous government uh, uh, did uh, make some revisions, putting some of the memorization back in, at least noting that students need to learn the standard algorithms for adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. Those changes did go in. It didn't, didn't go as far as what I think they should have. And uh, I think the bigger issue as well was that they changed some of those things in the curriculum, but largely left it to department officials and school boards to interpret for themselves what that meant. And so if you had schools and school boards that were more inclined to put those fundamentals in and focus on those, that was great. Uh, but for those who uh, preferred the, uh, uh, the newer way of doing it, uh, the more progressive approach, the discovery approach, inquiry, uh, those to a large degree, continued on as before with some minor modifications. So uh, there were some there were some good changes, um, but it certainly wasn't a wholesale revolution here. So by the time that students in Manitoba reach your um, your classroom, you're a high school teacher. Uh, how prepared are they? How prepared do you find them to be to to deal with mathematical issues or issues concerning math? Well, I don't I don't currently teach math. I mean, I have taught math before, but I currently teach social studies, but. Uh, I would say it really uh, uh, it really depends. I mean, the, the, you you have uh, you have some students that end up being very very well prepared. 
uh, others that are less so. Uh, I mean, part of the challenge, certainly in this province, is that you have some very good math resources that are on the provincially approved list, such as Jump Math, which if you want math basics and, and math fundamentals, get the Jump Math program. The problem is, is that it's optional, and so uh, only some schools and school boards choose to use it. And far too many are still using horrible discovery math textbooks, such as Math Focus and Math Makes Sense, and those books are misnomer if there ever, ever ever was one because math focus isn't focused and math makes sense doesn't make sense. And those are, there are the textbooks that are widely used in Ontario as well. And as long as you're using resources like that as, as a primary resource, uh, you're not going to see much of reform in, in, in math instruction. You need to have some, uh, some wholesale changes. One of the most frustrating aspects of all of this to parents who are watching their kids, maybe trying to help their kids understand and learn math. What do you, what, I mean, I know you're not teaching math now, but what, what are teachers hearing that is particularly frustrating to parents? And, and that might be the common denominator issue right across the country. Well, the overwhelming thing when we talk about math is that, uh, I can't stress enough just how important knowing things by by rote, by memorization, automaticity, where you have things in your brain automatically. If you don't know automatically that 6 times 6 is 36, you will struggle uh, with any higher order algebraic equations. Uh, if you don't know how to do long division, you're going to have problems when you get, if you end up taking calculus later. Uh, so that's why some of the strongest critics of the progressive discovery approach to teaching math are math professors at universities, because they see the effects very directly because they end up with a large number of students that have taken math all the way to grade 12 but are not remotely prepared for university-level math. And they certainly uh, see things as, as getting worse. And so you have this divide between math professors and math education professors in faculties of education. And so when you're looking at an expert on, on, on math instruction, you'll notice a, a massive difference between a math professor and a, ma and a math education professor, and it's the math education professors that tend to have the dominant say when it comes to writing curriculum and textbooks. Do you have any doubts at all that there are parents listening to this program right now who are frustrated with the way their kids' math, uh, understanding of math is progressing and, and would have an interest in, because we're going to open up the phone lines in a minute, but do you have any doubt that there are parents who will want to get in on this? I have, I have no doubt at all. Uh, I've heard from many myself over the years, and uh, uh, the general rule of thumb that I always say is this, is that if you're a parent and your kid's in grade two or three, and if you are having trouble figuring out what those worksheets are asking you to do and what those textbooks are asking you to do, it's not because you're stupid. It's because the instruction is really bad. It's because it's, the, the questions are far too open-ended. Uh, I've heard from not just math professors. I've heard from engineers, accountants, that have said, look, I do math for a living. I'm an expert in math, and I can't figure out my kid's grade three math assignment. If that's you, uh, the problem isn't you. The, math, the problem then is with the way the math is being taught. Perhaps it's time to review whether or not students should be promoted socially to the next year, the next education year, if they haven't demonstrably proven that they've understood what has been taught to them in the previous year, and usually testings and exams took care of that. So if you don't achieve an appropriate score, a set score, and uh, you don't pass the school year, then you repeat the school year. I know, I know. It's from the age of the dinosaurs. But if you don't understand what you're supposed to have learned in grade 8 or grade 3 or grade 9 or grade 5, and you're moved ahead to the next year, 
without understanding what the basics were the last year, how prepared are you going to be to move on? And will you not just become more confused as you do move on? And I know the argument's been made that to hold a student back damages self-esteem. Michael Zweigstra is my guest, Manitoba High School teacher, author of What's Wrong With Our Schools and How We Can Fix Them, and Sage on the Stage, op-ed writer, public speaker. Michael, you and I have talked about social promotion in the past. I just made my case. Uh, what about what about you? What about you, the teacher in the classroom? Do you have input? Do you have um, do you have say in whether or not a student moves on from grade eight to grade nine if they weren't ready to move on scholastically? Well, uh, I teach at the high school level, and so typically in in most high schools, uh, the students are well, pretty much all high schools. It's on a credit basis, and so you have individual courses and. So yes, teachers do get a significant amount of say in terms of whether they pass or not. Certainly at the high school level, it is definitely possible to fail. Uh, different schools and principals will have different philosophies uh, in terms of uh, just to what degree a teacher has to go to make sure the student doesn't fail. Um, obviously, no teacher, I just want to be clear, no teacher wants kids to fail. I don't know of anyone, no matter how traditional or whatever, uh, that wants kids to fail. The question is that we want students to be obviously prepared when they're going on to the next grade or into the next subject. Uh, as far as uh, at the K-8 to level, uh, typically most schools, provinces, and school divisions don't have official social promotion policies, although certainly it is very much the norm that at the K-8 to level that students are moving on to the next grade, uh, except in very rare circumstances. And so high school, credit by credit, it's a lot easier to hold a student back, per se, because they, they, we could hold them back at just one subject and they repeat that one course while moving ahead in the other stuff if they pass their other courses. Although, from experience, if you're failing one subject, it's pretty common you're failing some other subjects, too. Mm -hmm. So it is certainly possible at the high school level to repeat an entire grade if you fail all your courses. When I went to high school in the days of uh, the dinosaurs, we also had different courses. We learned about a series of seven or eight courses we learned over the period of the school year. And if you did not achieve an average grade uh, for that school year, you didn't move on. The assumption being that you weren't ready to move on. Now, I, my case was I came to Canada as a 14-year-old. My education had been in Europe where everything was metric at the time I arrived here. We still in Canada had the imperial system, so math was a confusing reality to me, as were many other issues because I didn't have any grounding in the Canadian education system. The first year I got here, they passed me through. The next year, I just wasn't understanding really what, where we were and what we were learning because it was all new to me. So they held me back a year. They had me repeat. First year of high school was grade 8. They had me repeat grade 8. Michael, it was the best thing they could have done because it allowed me to catch up. And I worry, and I've heard from parents so many times, their kids are moved ahead into the next year without being ready for, for that move. They lose interest in school. They just lose their focus, and you lose the kid. That's my concern. Am I way off base here? No, uh, I, I think I think you make a very good point, and uh, I, especially when you have parents on board. I mean, it, it, you've got a, it's obviously if you've got parents that are opposed to a child being held back, uh, that's going to make things obviously a lot more difficult. Of but course, there are circumstances where parents uh, themselves are saying that look for for various reasons. Uh, in terms of preparedness and not mastering the material and, and all that, uh, they want their kids held back because they clearly haven't done that. Uh, I think that should be given uh, serious consideration in, in, in those circumstances. 
And uh, but you know, I've talked to parents who've gone to their principal, gone to the teacher, then gone to the vice principal, then gone to the principal, then gone to the board level, and have been each time have been just without any real listening to what the parent had to say, been shut down and been made to feel as though they're bad parents because what they're asking for is their kids be held back to repeat the school year because the parent is the one who lives with the kid all day, every day, all year, and says, my child is not ready, have them repeat the school year, and the educators look at them as though they were from another planet. Yeah, see, that's not helpful. Like, it's, like this is That's the type of thing you should be having. If parents have a request like that. There's Obviously, there's, that's because there are issues there. And at a minimum, they should get a proper hearing where they have a chance to give real and meaningful input and where they shouldn't be told at the outset that their request won't even be considered. I mean, if you want to shut down dialogue between parents and the school, uh, tell the parents that their input on something isn't going to matter, and that'll end the dialogue pretty quickly. In fact, most people don't really like participating in dialogue in, in areas where they have zero input. That's just, that's just how things are. So are there jurisdictions anywhere... Are there jurisdictions anywhere that you're aware of where they actually have set aside social promotion? And let's go to the earlier years, JK to 7 or 8, whatever the particular jurisdiction is. Are there jurisdictions, areas in North America, anywhere, Canada, the United States, that you're aware of where social promotion has been pushed to the side and kids are held back if they're not ready to move on? Uh, it, uh, that's a tough one to answer because, as I mentioned at the outset, most most jurisdictions don't have on the record, an official social promotion policy, either for or against. Uh, you, you won't find that. You, so you, it really comes down to the philosophy of the people who are running the system. Yeah, I was just wondering if you're aware of any yeah. where they uh, actually you, do that. You, you, certainly you can look at private schools. I mean, uh, you, you, you would certainly find that. you find it's largely set aside in, in those types of settings. Um, but within the public system where they've gone on the record saying we're completely opposed to social promotion, no, I'm not aware of any. If you were a, if you were a um, um, grade 1 through grade 7 teacher, grade 8 teacher, and you had a student, let's say you taught grade 4, for argument's sake, and you know the student isn't really understanding, isn't doing well, comprehending and, and, and applying what's been taught that year, and then the parent comes to you at the end of the year, I'm putting you on the hot spot here, on the hot seat, and the parent comes to you and says, Mr. Zweigstra, I really think that my child should repeat the year. What do you do? Well, I would hope that, uh, that I, would, I would already know that the request was coming because, it would be obvious, because as a teacher, I would know where all the students are at. And mm -hmm. so generally you're not going to have parents coming to you with that type of request if their kids are doing well. So I would already know that things are not going well and obviously I would take any request like that seriously, but frankly, I would hope that I would have good communication with them throughout the year so that we don't have to be in that type of situation. And okay. I, I would suggest that there, a lot of these cases could be resolved long before if we had a better focus on direct instruction, if we had good curriculum, if teachers were, were able to be in charge of their classrooms yeah. and provide sequential logical instruction, going through the content, building up knowledge, uh, because if we educate them well, uh, I really, we could sort of move past some of the debate on some of the social promotion cases and just help the kids learn the material at the outset so that we don't have to face mm -hmm. that choice at the end of the year. There are times, and we've had these discussions on the air as well, where the parent's been able to persuade the teacher that it's the best thing to do, the best thing for the parent's child. But then when it goes to the next level, perhaps the principal's office, and maybe even the principal agrees, and then it goes to the board level, and the board says no, overrules the educators at the particular school, and the parents write back where the parents started. 
and uh, and they find themselves in a in a very very challenging situation. What I'd like to do is uh, is actually go back to the phones. Is there anything you want to add here before we do that? I uh, just to, just to say that uh, I mean obviously like a lot there's a there's a real need for good communication and whatever your philosophy and education is uh, as as a parent. Uh, to the greatest degree possible, you know, it's important to communicate with the teacher throughout the year, particularly if you have concerns, uh, because while I do think that, you know, we should listen to the issues they have at the end of the year, I would really hope the end of the year isn't the first time we're having a serious discussion about where, where your yeah, child is at. Point. It should be starting a yeah. whole lot earlier. There's just one other little thing. I've been staring at this line in this news story now for, well, several days, but <laughs> since since you and I started talking, in the Ontario return to the basics of math, let me just go back to that. They are going to teach kids, and this is a head shaker to me, they are going to teach kids how to tell time on that, you know, that traditional clock with the big hand and the little hand. They're going to teach them <laughs> what it means when the hands line up where they line up in grade three instead of grade one. What, was it too tough in grade one? <laughs> I, I, you know, you'd be amazed at how old some some kids are, and they 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 they, they don't know how to tell time on an on an analog clock. I mean, uh, I think it's a pretty useful skill to be able to tell time. That, I think so, so I would teach it as early as possible because I, I would think you'd be so. able to do it. Michael Zweigster is my guest, high school teacher in Manitoba. Uh, Sage on the stage is one of his books. The other is What's Wrong with Our Schools and How Can We Fix Them. If you want to hear more. Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.